We're in the book of Luke, chapter number 26. Very familiar verses here at this time of year. This won't be the first time you've heard them this year, and it won't be the last time you hear them this year. Luke chapter number 1, verse number 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man named, whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the, angels came in under, the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David." And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin is Elizabeth. She hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Do you remember being a kid at Christmas? Of course you do. Your mind may forget a lot of things, but it does not forget that. The memories that I mentioned, as I mentioned that, the memories flood through your mind of Christmas. Now the young people have a slight disadvantage in these holiday seasons because the mailman no longer delivers the child's single most best friend. And the child's single most best friend at Christmas is? <laughs> That's right. How many knew the answer to that? If you're older, if you're my age or older, you knew the answer to that. The Sears Wish Book. Oh, what a treasure. Right about... Oh, the end of Thanksgiving, uh, the end of November, the mailman would deliver an inch-thick catalog that basically had every toy that was made on the planet at that time was in there. From then on, your time was occupied. Houses were not well insulated back in those days. You young people don't understand that either. Houses were not well insulated, and so. At night, in the evenings, you would perch on the furnace register and study the Sears catalog. How many know of what I speak? 
There's nothing like being toasty warm looking through the Sears catalog. And you are making lists. Everything that's possible is in this catalog. And so you would peruse, you know, peruse is not the right word. You would study this catalog. You would devour this catalog. You would read the, the, the things, even if stuff you didn't want, you would still read the description and the shipping times and all of that. You would read all of these things. You knew the catalog backward and forward. In fact, if you try very hard, you can still see some of the pages in your mind. In fact, you want to see them for real. They're on the internet, by the way. And you can look all those up. And then you would begin making your list. The sky was the limit. And your dreams were the only limitation that you had. And so you would begin making the list. And you realize that 95% of the stuff in that catalog, you didn't know anybody who was rich enough to afford to buy that for you. So as you made the list, you kind of made sure of these, you kind of were aware of that, but you slipped a few of them onto the list. Hey, it's Christmas, you just never knew, right? And so this is a little too expensive, but you still put it on the list. And once you had that list made, which took a lot more thought than the tax code of the United States, when you got that list made, you turned it in to your parents, and then the waiting began. Gradually, presents would start showing up underneath the tree. And you had to look at each gift and try to determine, did it fit anything on the list? Do you remember these days? You shake it, you weigh it. If you were a naughty kid, you opened a corner. I would never did that more than once. Um, <laughs> you just, and you, had to, you remember, your folks were tricky too. Sometimes they would switch tags so you wouldn't know. Sometimes they would wrap it in a bigger box or wrap it in a, a small something and put your item someplace else in the closet so you, Parents were tricky, so there was not always, but you're working at this, trying to figure out what was under the tree. Of course, when the big day comes, the whole list is actually lost in the joy of the things that are there. And you don't really remember that whole list that you turned in. You're just so happy with the things that you've got and the Christmas day, and your little life is just running on all cylinders. How many know what I'm talking about? Now, precious memories, I'm so thankful for all of them. But I dare say that almost nobody in this room, other than maybe a few of the teenagers, have that same view of Christmas today. Since your family's been hounding you for the last three weeks, you finally threw some items in your Amazon list of things that if somebody got you, it would be all right. Whether or not you get them is totally immaterial to you. You are definitely not losing sleep over any of those items on over what you're going to get for Christmas. The fact of the matter is there's other things that are causing you to lose sleep. 
there's other things as you've gotten into this adult world that keep you awake nights now. If you could really make out your real Christmas list, it wouldn't be anything that Amazon carries. And I don't care who your rich uncle is, he couldn't buy it. The reality is, the answer to your Christmas wish list now is way more impossible than anything you ever dared to dream when you were eight years old. It's a whole different world. We rejoice in those precious memories as a kid, but now your Christmas is different. As I sat last night, making the out, I sat down, I was going to make the outline for this morning's message. The message ideas that I'd had all week long that I'd been contemplating, trying to put the pieces together, just would not gel. So I sat in my office at home, walking through the auditorium in my mind. You know you can do that because people are creatures of habit. And you all sit basically in the same place every week. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but I started walking through the auditorium in my mind, face by face. And I realized there were very few faces in this auditorium that did not have significant difficulties, trouble that they were facing in, in, at this time. Family problems, health problems, problems at work, problems that are on the horizon that you're not sure whether what they look like, difficulties. And I couldn't go very far at all without major problems that people were facing. And I said to the Lord as I contemplated this, my heart was breaking, Lord, what do you say to people who have these kind of difficulties? I've never seen anything like it in our world. I don't know, I've been alive for 53 years. I don't know that I've ever seen as much trouble everywhere as what there is in people's lives everywhere as there is at this moment. And I said, Lord, what do you say? What is the message that could help everybody here with all of these different difficulties? And as I opened up my Bible and I just started reading the Christmas story, this is what the Lord gave me. Verse number 37. <clears throat> For with God, nothing shall be impossible. The title of this morning's message, All I Want for Christmas is the Impossible. All I want for Christmas is the Impossible. Let's pray. Father, we're here we're your children, hungry for truth, needing to hear specifically from you in answer to the situations of our life, desiring to love the Lord Jesus like we've never loved him before and to understand your truth and have it pour through us. So, Father, by your spirit, reach our hearts this morning. 
ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we look at the practical side of this, this God of the impossible, let's contemplate the context of the words we just read. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. The angel speaks this to Mary, explaining what is going to take place at the first Christmas. She's explaining this first Christmas. It's all brand new news, and she says this to Mary. It almost seems like it comes out of the blue. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. I think for most of us, we've heard the details of the Christmas story so many times, and it's happened uh, from, it, it happened in a different time, in a different place to us, okay? We've heard it, but it happened a long time ago in a different place. We don't really consider what's happening. We don't really think about it enough to understand the impossibilities, the impossibilities that were actually taking place. The people who were living there knew that it was impossible. That's why the angel had to tell them. God is a God of the impossible. Let's look for a few moments here at the consider the impossibilities of this first Christmas. That'll get our mind going in the right direction. Number one, impossibility number one. The first impossibility of this first Christmas is Elizabeth's pregnancy. The first impossibility is Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, we often just slip right over this. But it was Elizabeth's pregnancy that brought the statement from the angel that God, with nothing, God, nothing is impossible. Her pregnancy is proof of this fact. Now, there's three real problems with Elizabeth getting, becoming, being expecting her pregnancy. There's three real problems with that. The first problem um, is that she was barren. The Bible says she was barren. Now, she's older in life. No, we're all, I think we all understand this. If a person, if a family, husband and wife, have had children before, it's no big surprise to you if they have another one. Right? Once they've had one child, you say, well, they've had one, and, and having other, more children is not really a surprising thing. But there are some couples who struggle with having children. And when they finally have one, you say, wow, that's a big deal. Because someone who has children, having more isn't, isn't an issue, but someone who's not had them may never have them. And it's a struggle. Here's our first problem in this whole situation. Elizabeth is barren. She's gone a long time. It's not like she's had 27 kids and now she may have another one. She has not had any children. This is a big deal. This is a, a very difficult part of this. That's problem number one with her becoming pregnant. Number two problem. Her husband, Zacharias, is old. That's a problem. And one of the historians puts his age at 99. I cannot verify this, but... That's what one of the old historians said, that he was 99 years old. This is an issue. 
So she's going to, we're talking about the impossibility of her becoming pregnant. One, she's been barren all this time. Two, her husband is old. Number three, this is the biggest, is Elizabeth's age. In verse number 18, Zach, Zachariah says to the angel, she is well stricken in age. I was wondering about the wisdom, if, if she was there or not. <laughs> How he, he might have wondered, she was not there, he would not have said it that way. Um, <laughs> the angel, in verse number 36, calls her old. Okay, so we have an issue here. Now, some, that same historian that put him at 99 put her at 89, and I can't... I can't get the accuracy. I don't know the accuracy of that, okay? But we know that she's, he says she's well stricken in age. The angel says she's old. Now, you've got to put this into perspective. If Heidi called me today and said, Dad, I'm expecting, I would say, yes, another grandkid on the way. That's what we're looking for here, Right? And it would be no big shocker if that happened in the next little while. That would be no big shocker. If Carol called me today <laughs> I'd say, no way. And then I'd pass out cold on the floor. But if my mother called me I wouldn't believe her. I just flat out wouldn't believe her. Would you? <laughs> just like, I don't know what you're thinking, Mom, but <laughs> would you believe her? You would not believe her because you would say, that is impossible. Now you're in the ballpark. And the angel makes this statement and says, she's going to have a child because nothing is impossible with God. That's why the angel makes this statement. Because this, by all accounts, she's barren, her husband is old, and she is old. And this is an impossibility. At Christmas, we have this, the Christmas story, the first Christmas, we have these impossible situations. Number one, Elizabeth's pregnancy. Number two, impossibility, Mary's pregnancy. We won't spend very much time here. This has been talked about at great lengths, and John talked about it in Sunday school this morning, did a nice job on that. A child to be born with no human father is not possible. A child to be born on this earth with no human father is not possible. If you heard somebody say it today, you would not believe it. It just cannot be. However, the prophet Isaiah predicted it. We read it this morning. It's the only way that Christ could come into the world as a descendant of Adam, linked with the human race, and not get the sin nature passed down to him. It is an impossibility, but we find the angel explaining it to Mary in this passage. For with God, nothing is impossible. We have Elizabeth's pregnancy. We have Mary's pregnancy. And possibility number three, the wise men finding the child. The wise men finding the child. I don't know about you, but the wise men have always intrigued me. 
How they knew what they knew is a mystery. All that they did is a mystery to me. Would you set out on a journey like that? <laughs> you see some star fall out of the sky or whatever it did, and you say, you know what, I think I'm going to travel several thousand miles to the west, and I'm not sure where we're going. Would you start out on a journey like that? I don't think so. <coughs> Look, whenever I go anywhere now, especially outside the area, I put it into my phone. And my phone has a GPS, and it takes me right to where I want to go. Sometimes when I'm even in town, I put it in there just to make sure I take the right, the fastest route. But these guys said, we're heading west. Now, they knew approximately where they were going, but think about the journey. Think about the difficulties of that journey. Think about the language barriers. Think about the travel difficulties. Think about the hardness of a trip like that. You know, my kids complained when we were, you know, they're sitting back there watching something on TV while we're driving, and they're complaining about how hard the trip is. This is a total side note. How many used to sleep on the floor in the back of the car? Man, there is nothing so restful as sleeping. You hear the, the uh, drive shaft whirring back there and the warmth and the, the exhaust and a little carbon monoxide leak too, but <laughs> put you out for good. The traveling, when you think about the difficulties of that and them just getting, okay, we're going to go find this. But <laughs> you, you, I was sitting there trying to put my mind through this. They're going to find a baby. Do you have the baby's name? No. Do they have the parent's name? No. Do they have an address? No. Do they have an exact birth date? Not really. Do they know what the child looks like? No. Do they even know the prophecies about the child? And the answer to that is no. Imagine in our day of computers and global internet, and you're trying to find a baby, and you call the hospital up here in Des Moines, and you say, I'm looking for a child, and they say, what's the child's name? And you say, uh, I don't know. Uh, no, ma'am, I don't know the parent's name either. Uh, no, ma'am, I don't know the exact birth date. Um, no, ma'am, I don't know for sure which hospital in the United States the baby was born in. Uh, no, ma'am, I don't know what the child looks like. Uh, yes, ma'am, we saw this star in the east. <laughs> <laughs> this is what your mind says, that click, that's what you'd hear. This is what these guys did. How they found that child. You say, it's an impossibility. A star. You say, that's not possible. Right. You can't make a star happen, but God does. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. God is the God of the impossible. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. We have an impossible Christmas. Elizabeth's pregnancy is impossible. Mary's pregnancy is impossible. The wise men finding the child is impossible. Impossibility number four. The child surviving Herod's wrath. 
That is an impossibility. When the wise men came to Herod and asked about the child, Herod was completely oblivious to the entire event. However, now he recognized that there is a threat to the throne, and that is never to be ignored, and it has to be dealt with. And the wise men don't know it, but Herod is using them to find the child so that he can kill the child. Now, consider these foreigners, wise men, these foreigners, they find the child with no difficulty. And we just talked about that was a miracle. That's an impossible situation. <coughs> They're from out of town and find this child with no trouble. Herod, who lives there, it's his region, cannot find this child. You talk about the impossibility. How much power did he have? He had enough power when he couldn't find the child to murder all the babies in that region. But buddy, you just don't do that with one or two soldiers. You've got to be ready for an insurrection when you do that. Imagine if they came in here and tried to murder our kids. You better be ready for a fight, right? You better come with such a superior force that you have, can make that happen without any of us being able to, to stop you. That's how much power he had, and he could not find this child. Think about that. It was an impossibility that this child would not be destroyed. And yet, Joseph heads for Egypt with the child. The impossibility of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary's pregnancy, the wise men finding a child, the child escaping the king's wrath, and impossibility number five, the Old Testament prophecies all being fulfilled. You want to talk about an impossibility? That is the Old Testament prophecies all being fulfilled. You guys ever make predictions? You do without knowing it. Okay, we do it every day. Yesterday morning, Case in point, I said to Carol, 7.30 in the morning, I said, I'm leaving right now, I'm going to Menards, I've got to stop at the church real quick, and I'm going to be back by 8.30 or 9. And Carol says, you're not going to be back by 8.30. And I said, oh yeah, let me think here. I said, I've got only got to be at Menards in just a few minutes. So it's 20 minutes there, and I'm doing the math in my head. Da, 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 da. Okay, I'm not going to be home by 8.30. It'll probably be closer to 9 when I get home. Okay. At 9.30, I called her. <laughs> and I said, I've had to run into a little bit of difficulty. She goes, are you on your way home? No, I'm still at Menards. <laughs> I actually got home at 10.30. Now, I was only 100% off in my calculations. <laughs> I, I, okay, so it took me, I thought an hour and a half, it took me three hours. Now, none of you are surprised with that, right? Because hundreds of times in your life, you've made the same predictions, and something happens that interferes, and it just doesn't get done. You can't even predict the next three hours of your life and get it right. Do you understand that? And here 
these prophets are making predictions hundreds of years in advance, and all of them are taking place. You talk about an impossibility. Isaiah 7.14 predicts that prophesies that the virgin will conceive and bear a son. We've already talked about that impossibility. Micah 5.2 predicts that, that uh, the baby will be born in Bethlehem. Think about what it takes to make that prophecy come true. When you know the whole story, okay, you, you think that through. In order for that to happen, the Romans have to be in charge. Somebody in charge has to say, you know what? We're going to tax these people. We're going to tax the whole world. But all of these procedures, all of how they're going to run this tax has got to, you know how long that takes. All of this has to get done so they say, okay, this is how we're going to run our taxing program. Then all that's got to be communicated to the world. Joseph has to start off with an expecting wife, very expecting. He has to start off with her, and they have to get to Bethlehem at the exact day that she's going to have the baby. No, you've all traveled enough to know that <laughs> you say, I'm going to be here, and, and we drive in nice cars and with all the help and the hotels and all that, and sometimes we don't make it on the same day, right? Do you realize all the pieces that had to get together in order to, for, for Mary to have the child in Bethlehem? Absolutely. You say, it just couldn't be done. You couldn't manipulate 400 years in order to make this happen on the exact God is the God of the impossible. That's what he's trying to tell you here. The Old Testament prophecies were an impossibility to make these all work. Hosea says that he will, out of Egypt will they call my son. You know when the king goes on the rampage and he's going trying to kill the baby Lord Jesus. We've already talked about that impossibility. But Hosea predicts hundreds of years earlier that Joseph would choose Egypt. I don't know about you, but if I was Joseph and I was considering the Egyptian, the history of the Jews and the Egyptians, I would have probably thought of someplace else. Just saying, uh, that would have been, you know, maybe a little safer, maybe a little uh, less history behind it. I might have chosen, but Hosea predicts hundreds of years early, that's what he's going to choose. The scriptures also predicted Herod's rampage. Is predicted in Jeremiah. John the Baptist's life is all laid out early in the book of Luke. Simeon makes some amazing predictions concerning the life of Christ in the Luke, book of Luke as well. These predictions all made hundreds of years in advance tell the where, the when, the how, the circumstances, and the, all the outcomes. Any reasonable person would have read them, would have chuckled to themselves and say, that's impossible to, to predict the future like that. It just can't be done to say that this is how this event's going to take place. But my friend, God is a God of the impossible. We have Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary's pregnancy, the wise men finding the child, the child uh, escaping the king's wrath, the Old Testament prophecies all being fulfilled. Number six, the child's purpose would be accomplished. This is a impossibility number six, that the child's purpose would actually be accomplished. What was the purpose 
of the child being born. We celebrate Christmas. So what was the purpose of, this, of the Lord Jesus being born? Well, the angel tells Mary in verse number 31, call his name Jesus. In Matthew chapter number 1, Joseph is told why you're supposed to call his name Jesus. And he says you're supposed to call his name Jesus because he will he will save his people from his sin. That is an impossible purpose. Very quickly, let's walk through this. Most of you are familiar with this. Think of a court situation. Okay? You are on trial. Okay? And you have to answer for the sins of your life. Okay? You know you did it, and the judge knows you did it. Okay? So, is there any denying it? You, you know, sometimes in court, they don't, the judge doesn't actually know, the jury doesn't actually know what happened. But when you know it and the judge knows it, there's no denying what took place. This is what happened. These aren't trumped up charges against you. These are the real deal. So you have undeniable guilt. So the judge opens up the book and it says the wages of sin is death. That means that the punishment for each one of, one of your sins is the death penalty, eternal separation from God. This is an unbreakable law. So here you have undeniable guilt and an unbreakable law. This is what they call a locked case. You also, on top of that, have an unbribable judge. He's going to do the right thing. We have a case you cannot win. You have undeniable guilt with an unbreakable law and an uncorruptible judge. It's done. It's impossible for you to be saved. And yet, call him Jesus, for he will one day save his people from their sin. How does he do this? How does he make this, the impossible happen? He's born of a virgin so that he is not tainted by Adam's sin. He is born of Mary so that he's human and can die for the human sin. He lives his life perfectly on this earth, never sinning even once so that he can be a sacrifice for sin. He is God made flesh so that he has the intrinsic value to pay for the sins of the whole world. He takes your sin upon himself and dies in your place. He pays your debt and doesn't break the law of God, he satisfies the law of God and is raised from the dead. He does the impossible. He saves his people from their sin. The first Christmas was an impossibility. Elizabeth's pregnancy was impossible. Mary's Pregnancy was an impossible. The wise men finding uh, the, the little child was impossible. Escaping Herod's wrath was impossible. The prophecies all being fulfilled is impossible. The purpose that the Lord came was impossible. But with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, let us consider what it means to us when we have a God who specializes in the impossible. First thing, be saved today. 
be saved today. This is primary. If you've not put your faith in Christ, will you not do that today? To find another Savior, I'm telling you, hear my voice now, to find another Savior will be impossible. There's nobody else who's going to do this. There is no other possible Savior. This whole impossible Christmas took place just to save you. And I would ask you, why would you let that go to waste? Why would you let that go to waste? Be saved today. Number two, since we have a God who specializes in the impossible, trust him in your life today. Trust him in your life today. I'm not talking about salvation. We just talked about that. I'm talking to those of you who know the Lord I know that what you're facing this moment is a very heavy burden. Many of you are carrying things, and I only know just a very little about what's going on in each person's life. What each one of you carrying is a, is a struggle. And I know that no, no matter what, how you look at your situation, it seems impossible. But do you realize you have a God who specializes in the impossible? Will you not trust him this morning with your burden? Will you not trust him to do the impossible in your situation? No, don't misunderstand me here. God doing the impossible does not necessarily mean that your trouble will just all disappear and get solved overnight. Think of all the, when you think about the impossibilities that we discussed in the Christmas story, most of them did not mean the taking away of trouble. In most of those impossibilities, it was a catalyst for more trouble in the future. The impossible thing that you need done is not that your trouble will vanish. What good would that do you? If the trouble that you're facing right now, I know that's what we want, but if, you, if that would vanish, what good would it do you? The impossible thing that we need is that God would sustain and protect us in whatever we face. That's what we need. The impossible thing that we need of God is that these temporal problems and, he, and that these temporal problems would accomplish eternal things through them. He would take these problems that we're facing on this earth, that they're in our life at this moment, and accomplish something that lasts for eternity with it. He would take our lives and bring honor and glory to his own name through them. You know that's the most impossible thing yet? You think about how weak and how nothing you are. And the fact that God could take you and your situation and bring honor and glory to him through you. My friend, that's an impossibility. But if you'd let him, he specializes in the impossibility. Trust God so that he can do those impossible things in your life today. The third impossible thing that we need God to do, we need him to, to do impossible things through this church. Can I ask you a really simple question? Of what glory to God is it 
if everything that happens in this church can be explained by our work, if the world can look at us and say, you know, that, this is what's happening at that church and this is how they're getting it done, what glory is there is in that? When we have a God who specializes in the impossible, what that means is people should look at this place and say, how is that taking place? What is going on there? This is beyond those people. We know those people, and this is beyond them. That's what we need to see here, my friend. We need to see a God who is doing the impossible, not the result of our own effort. We need our miracle-working God that specializes in doing the impossible, doing just that, and all of us in the dust giving him credit. None of us trying to take the credit from him. Will you not trust him this coming year to do impossible things through you in this church? That first Christmas was impossible. But God specializes in that. The work we can do with our own hands isn't enough anymore. All I want for Christmas is the impossible.